and so they stand up and say, we're not going to pay it. And then in come these guys, these sort of Floridan, yeah. big, you know, WWE-style biceps yeah. and big chains just blocking their exit. The thing that struck me was that in the living room where you might have television or something of that nature, he had a complete wild pig <laughs> stuffed. I was just standing on the coffee table. I'm Andrew Rule. This is Life and Crimes. And today we are resuming the discussion with Tony Wilson, who has done virtually everything. But among the things he's done, apart from being a Hawthorne Reserves footballer and a lawyer and an author and a lot of other stuff, he's a successful writer. He wrote 1989, The Great Grand Final. Thanks, Andrew. Yeah, great to be back. Yeah, that book is uh, yeah, an exhaustive look of that 1989 season. Hawthorne's angles, Geelong's angles, The Ablett Show. It was great. Yeah, Tony. So now we're going to resume last week's chat about some of football's scallywags, rogues, and occasionally dead set crooks. I don't know how true this one is, but the one I love best on that, uh, who's been in the big house forum, was there was uh, a player who only played a couple of games up in Brisbane. We'll call him Mr. X. And he's playing for Brisbane. Yeah, he plays a couple of games for Brisbane. And and one of the reasons is that he, he's not necessarily uh, going that well in, in outside life. And so he makes the decision to to burgle his teammate's house. He he, de- he burgles Adrian Fletcher's house. Yeah. And anyway, this happens. He then burgles another person's house. And so he's done two burglaries in Brisbane, and that's the end. They lose patience with him. This guy could apparently really play, because if, if you get kept on a list after your first burglary of a teammate's house... I'm, I'm tipping. You're you a pretty play. good player. But then he goes over to Frio, and this is how good a player he was, because he gets redrafted, or at least there's interest in him, and he's brought back into the wider fold. He's training with Frio Footy Club. He does another burglary, and <laughs> it's Adrian Fletcher again. Adrian no. Fletcher has gone from Brisbane to Freo. Did he get him again? <laughs> he hits. I, the same I'll, bloke he hit in Brisbane, he hits again in Freo. I didn't get the stereo. <laughs> I wanted the Stones album. He knew he had new stuff. He knew he had new stuff. Oh, true. <laughs> of course he did. Good thinking. There's a player at Hawthorne. Now, this one, I won't name the name. Don't name I, the name. I don't know the truth of this rumour, no. but there's a very famous raffle at Hawthorne, yes. a player's raffle. Yes. So that this is all about the player's end-of-season trip, and they were oh, raising money for it, yes. and they had prizes, and good prizes that you could win in a raffle, um, and all the money was going to the club or to a good cause or to the player's end-of-season trip. And there was one situation where this player stood at the front and he was given the job of drawing the raffle, and he drew the raffle for his equally roguish mate. I see. Uh, drew it out, and it was a it was a two two thousand dollar trip to you know Queensland. And with they, accommodation they basically rigged the raffle for their own benefit. Yeah, and so, allegedly. And then one of the players, one of the senior players, has stepped up and just walked to the front, pushed him in the chest, ripped up the ticket, and said, "Draw it again." Was that Campbell Brown? <laughs> I think no, John, no, no, no. Campbell the, Brown might have been the enforcer. The, 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 peace, the peacemaker, yeah. no, the enforcer, yes. It was It was of the Campbell Brown era, certainly. I, I think it was Campbell Brown or or Richard Taylor. Or, or one of those yeah, sort of fellows. Shane Crawford. One of those kind of leaders stood up leaders and said, said nope, this is not going to happen. This is not on. No, that, that could happen because there's always rogues in clubs. There was a player who, I think he was one of Tommy Hafey's favourites. 
until he went to Carlton. A very tough player. Good uh, yeah. player, but tough. And good and tough and good and tough. And yeah. Fight for fun, drink for laughs, punt a lot. Well, one day there were the SP bookies that we all know uh, fairly well operating over in the inner west, Flemington. They're in there doing whatever they do, taking phone calls, collecting cash, whatever they do. And a geezer walks in, or maybe two, walk in with balaclavas on. <laughs> but they knew exactly who they both were. <laughs> One of them was that player. Oh. And they, the chaps who were getting robbed, they just didn't want to see that. They just pretended they didn't see him and pretended they didn't know because they knew they'd see him in the ring <laughs> at the races the next day and they didn't want to be embarrass each other. Ah. So they just pushed the money towards him and he took it and um, it all came back at the races anyway. And did he, he never got caught for no, that burgle? No, 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 no. No, that was a armed robbery with a gun. Armed robbery, God, he did do some time. Uh, it was that. a balaclava and a gun. No wonder you're not finding the and name. One of, the other one. chap was a Moran. <laughs> the other fellow might have been the late Des Moran, known as Tuppence. Ah. I think, I think. Do you know one that... But I'm not uh, going to name the footballer. So if we drift out of AFL for one moment, I think AFL's trumped for the, one of the best um, crimes. Not not a, a very violent crime, and one yeah. that was... It's actually a pretty sad story as well, but uh, an amazing story. Do you remember the shark fin in robbery of the late 90s? I do. Where it was a, it was an insurance job, and it was the shark fin in... in Allegedly. Allegedly. Allegedly insurance job. Was it? Allegedly. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, I need to um, investigate that more. But no. basically, what I heard was that um, at the time, the best player in the NSL was a guy called Con Bootsianis. He'd signed with an English club yeah. and he was ready to go. And Con, um, he was the getaway driver in grand final week when South Melbourne Hellas were playing in the grand final. Our, our lawyers are going to be very interested in that story. <laughs> and um, um, what? No, that was big news. That one is not in oh, doubt. Oh, okay. Yeah. We can check that. Now oh, he, was, he was a, he was getaway, a getaway driver. driver. Well, he, he had reflexes. He had he, skills. Yeah, he had beautiful left foot. That's his, that's left his foot. accelerator and brake foot. And he knew all about how to take a dive. <laughs> well, anyway, it was very sad, actually, because he was an incredible footballer, and I think he would have made it in Europe. And and the contract he had with the legal problems he had in Australia after that shark fin in thing. Legal problems, he, he didn't go. He didn't go to Europe. It didn't go to England on that contract. No, that would uh, put a bit of a hole in things, wouldn't it, really? Mm. Um, Ange Postacoglu was coach of South Melbourne that week. He, he, tells, <laughs> that week. <laughs> he apparently tells the story very well of the stress of having your, your best striker yeah, uh, involved uh, in, uh, in, a, in a robbery. In, in, <laughs> as a getaway driver. It has a ring to it, doesn't it? Yeah. I'm, I'm, at the, I'm a wheel man in a getaway <laughs> car. <laughs> Yes, well, you know, there's so many stories. It, it's alleged by a man I know, a racing identity, that uh, he went to school out in the northern suburbs, out near, say, Watsonia Way, back in the day. And he went to school with all sorts of people, including a very gifted sportsman whose son bears the same name that he does. And the son is a massively gifted sportsman. Oh, uh, yeah. Massively gifted. And this this young fellow back in the old days, in the say the seventies, he was gifted, but he was also a bit naughty, and he used to do a bit of counter jumping. Now this wasn't working at the post office. This actually means robbing places, jumping the counter to rob the bank or the shop or whatever it yeah. was. And he was probably only nineteen or so, twenty. 
it came to the attention of the authorities that he was up to no good and he suddenly left Victoria and went to interstate. And that's where he got married to his ever-loving wife and they had some lovely children, one of which became a superstar. Ah. So there you go. Tony, you've come to us with a sheaf of notes. You are very well prepared. I reckon if I asked you nicely, you might talk to us about a very prominent player of the 70s and 80s that I used to watch down at Moorabbin. He was an extremely volatile and violent bloke who frightened me when I had to cover a tribunal up at Ballarat later on. I was terrified. As I said, Andrew, I've been um, writing a, a book about Alan Jeans and, yeah. and I got to interview Robbie Muir yes. in, in that period. I had a chat to Robbie and basically um, heard a lot of the stories that, that were reported last year about you know the difficulties he had as a player at St Kilda and, and, and some of the explanations for the excessive behaviour as well. But one story I really liked that related to Alan Jeans is that when he came down, they gave him a car... He couldn't, he couldn't read or write, he told me, but he got a new car when he got down to Moorabbin and it was an HQ Holden. Yeah. And and he thought, this is great, I've got a car, but then the, he's driving it around, but he hasn't bothered to get a licence. No. And so he's driving around and, and Alan Jeans finds out that he hasn't got a licence. And so Alan Jeans says, come meet me at, at um, Russell Street on Wednesday. And so Robbie turns up and... And he organises in the car, in the car mm-hmm. and, he, and a policeman comes out and meets him and he, they do one lap of the block mm. and then they go across to a cafe on the other side of the road and have a coffee and a chat and eat some cake and then they finish and then um, Robbie goes home to, the next night at training, Alan Jeans calls him into the office and tosses a licence across the uh that. table to him and Alan's organised his car licence. Well, in that would be absolutely true. Yeah. That, there's no doubt that's true. And Robbie Muir said that Alan Jeans was a, a big supporter of his. And in fact, a lot of his happiest and best times at St Kilda were, were Alan Jeans' years. What Now, I know you're writing a book about Alan Jeans and not about Robbie Muir, but there are mixed reports. I mean, I can recall being a reporter when Robbie was playing. He's uh, roughly my my vintage. And he was, uh, he was so volatile, really, that he was scary. In you know, he was unpredictable, and he would go right off and just hit people and do all sorts of things. And I think he did things off the field. And I know this from, I would say, good witnesses. A, a guy I know that I used to work with, Bill Cannon, who played a game at St Kilda, played one league game, top bloke, a very fine journalist, good bloke. He was reasonably friendly with Robbie Muir, but he told me some of the things that went on and he said, you know, it, was, it wasn't good. There were some very violent episodes off the field, yeah. uh, which were gratuitous, you know. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. It's highly troubled, troubled. youth. And, yeah. and, and, and you know, the story that went, that, you know, he was definitely badly treated in, in Ballarat. Like yeah. the, the suspension that ruined his young career. Yeah. It was, you know, th- that's the sort of thing, a turning point in his life, perhaps. Look, I, I, I it is, it gets quite serious, I reckon, because you get into this whole business of, of personal responsibility, you know, so, yeah, and, yeah. and versus the sort of uh, pain that people are sometimes suffering when they do bad things. True. Uh, so, you know, I, I can't comment on it. No. When I spoke to him for my t- half an hour, yeah. I came out going, that's a tough life. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. He, and no doubt it is. And he's very, he's yeah. quite fluent at talking about yeah, it. He was yeah. very forthcoming, yeah. and uh, and I was grateful for yeah. it. Yeah, no, interesting, interesting fellow. There's one I got. I did one fun. It's always fun talking to Dermot. By Dermot, you mean Dermot Brereton, the one and only. I do. Hawthorne champion. Two T's. Yeah, so he, he has one where they were in Miami and they go to a bar and, and they – look, oh, I don't know if it's – It's just Hawthorne players. Hawthorne players. On, on, on a, on a on trip. A, and, yeah. Yeah. And it's one of those places where – look, I don't know if it was a strip club or something close to a strip club, but it's one of those ones where the bottle of champagne comes yes. and – it's a clip joint. It's a clip joint. So And it's full of people the, uh, robbing tourists. Lots of big jewellery. Yeah. Lots of very buffed people. Mm. Lots of beautiful people. Mm. Sort of casino-ish. You yes. know, it's it's and they're sitting there and they drink all night like footy footy trips do. And then at the end of the night, the bill is let's say eight thousand dollars or twelve thousand dollars or ten thousand dollars. Some unpayable Some amount. Some unpayable amount. Yeah. And Dermot, you know, <laughs> He's a boy from Frankston and, and willing to back himself, says, you know, well, we can't pay this. What are we going to do? And so they stand up and say, we're not going to pay it. And then in come these guys, these sort of Floridan, yes. big, you know, WWE-style biceps yeah. and yeah. big chains just blocking their exit and their, the security. Yeah. And Paul Cooper's the one who told me this story. Yeah. and. And Dermot says, I've got the two in the middle <laughs> and you've got – and then there were four of them yeah. and he was assigning one, the one each. to each side. He was really – in a gentlemanly fashion, Dermot offered to take two, two. And, and then he was farming off. Paul Cooper was the little back pocket. <laughs> you have him and you have Didn't him. really have the capabilities to, to take on a a, a, a Miami but, Dolphin. No. Uh, he, he, <laughs> Anyway, who probably trained down it, you know. <laughs> but they got they got out of there with their lives, and and I think Paul said they didn't pay either. Good on them. So they they or they paid a small amount. You have to hand it to Dermot Brereton. I read once that Irish people, people with Irish names, won more Victoria Crosses in World War One than anyone else, but from each of the armies, you know. Yeah, uh, and uh, you can see why. Yeah. And you say, "I'll take the middle too." Yeah, oh, he is. He's and, and he was telling me in our chat about the Yabby thing as mm. well that you know his his family were really in the Republican politics back in yeah. Ireland yep. back in the forties mm. and fifties. You mm. know, and they'd that you know sort of grandmother had seen bullet wounds that sort of thing. Yeah, you know, treating the young boys as they came through, and mm. he, he was, you know, that, right, they're yeah. properly tough. That family. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and seriously, yeah, no doubt about it. And interesting fellow in his own way. Oh, he is. He's, yeah. oh, he's very thoughtful. Very, yeah. um, I've always really liked him. One of the people that, that is the most um, caring, I think, of other footballers, especially at that time when he was king. Yeah. He was very caring of young yeah. footballers. Yeah, yeah. So, there's yeah. more hidden depths to him, I think. They're all good fellows, and we're not knocking anybody here, but there was a story, and I know I alluded to this once in print, and it backfired because... Everybody was alive at that stage. And the man concerned, I'm going to tell it in a minute, but the man concerned rang me very sad and he said, it's not so much me, son, he said to me about the story I'd written, uh, which made it sort of clear that it was him. He said, it's Mrs., his wife. He named her, gave, he said her first name. She thinks I should be in line for an OBE or an MBE. Now I won't get one. <laughs> and that's what he was worried about, being monstered by his wife, because this old story had crept up. And what it was, this fellow played for North Melbourne. 
in the good old bad old days when North Melbourne was, you know, they were the shin boners. They were at Arden Street. I remember these days. They were a fairly rugged old crew. They always were a bit of a rugged team because, you know, they, some of their supporters were fairly tasty, you know. They were Dennis uh, Smith, Greedy Smith and these sort of guys. They yeah. sponsored players and they ran, you know, bars in Manila and things like that. <laughs> they were they were involved in the great boogie robbery, some of these guys. Anyway, this fellow who was not involved in the great bookie robbery, he was a pretty handy player in that era, but he was a bit of a hard case, they said. Might have known his way around the fruit markets and that sort of thing. They always said that when he hung his pants up on the peg at Arden Street to go out to training, he had to be careful because sometimes a thirty-eight pistol would fall out of them, a revolver. <laughs> <laughs> and this was a story that I alluded to in print many years ago, which led to this great sadness <laughs> when he rang me and said, oh, it's not me, mate. It's, it's her. She thinks I should be getting an OP. <laughs> so yeah, now I won't get one. So he was thinking, so I'm not really containing the facts here, but yeah, it's fair He's enough, not, he, but uh, it would be great he, if it didn't run. He'd later become a very successful business person, businessman with property and commercial interests around Australia, uh, big property interests, and he ended up, you know, living in a penthouse and all that good stuff. But I don't think he ever got the gong. And (laughs) his wife, I don't think he cared about gongs, but his wife did. And we'll be back after this. My name is Manny Karoudis, and I'm a former New South Wales policeman turned investigative reporter with a passion for missing persons cases. I'm here to quickly tell you about our True Crime Australia podcast, The Missing. In this series, I look at old missing persons cases which have all gone cold in an attempt to try and uncover new information which could help see these missing people reunited with their loved ones or any form of clue that could bring these families closure. The Missing is available now wherever you get your podcasts and early and ad-free on Crimex Plus on Apple Podcasts. Tony, did you not mention Delicate Des Dixon to me once? Oh, just at my Why days. was he called Delicate Des? Because <laughs> he used to belt by his training. <laughs> yeah, but to was, give it, tell us more about him. He sort of predates my era as a sports reporter. So I, I'm, I, I thought of him not as a, in the criminal no. sense. I only know him because Dad said that it was whenever he talks about how scary footy was in the 60s, it was. I did intra club games with Delicate Des Dixon because he. You know, that his only thing he could do was, you know, I don't think he could kick or handball or mark. He just could kill people and that's, <laughs> on the field. That's what he did. That was his job. Yeah. And he dad just said it was so scary playing. And every team had one. You know, that, that was the thing that the, you talk about hard men and rogues, that nowadays no team has one. So there's, no. not, there's not one player. that You have some players that are a, a bit physical. More willing, a bit but, more willing. But, but there's yeah. no one who's an assassin. No. And, and up until the 1990s, every team had an, an assassin. Oh, yeah. let's go through them. The hitman of this, isn't it? <laughs> hmm. Yeah, well, he could play a bit, Roger, couldn't he? Mm. But uh, as, <laughs> as, as he was eventually named. Well, um, and uh, Rod Grinter, you know. Rod Grinter? Oh, no, a fellow I know well and I really like him. Stewie Gull. I noticed that in these um, forums where they p- people send in things that could have been or to big footy or whatever, and sometimes they do one from the back line, you know, the tough guys, you know, this, this and this, Quinto, da, 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 da. and repeatedly 
Stewie Gull goes in all those yeah. teams. Because not, not, not only he was a tough footballer, he also won fights as a boxer at Festival Hall. Yeah. So he could actually he could actually use his hands, which a lot of those guys couldn't. And famously, he dropped Ronnie Andrews twice in one game because he dropped him once and Ronnie said, you got lucky or try it again or something. And Stewie hit him again and dropped him twice. So that was that. Yeah. And um, he was pretty good at it. My dad taught Ronnie Andrews at Ringwood High. Did he? And how was he? A good student? Yeah, he says he was fine. <laughs> it says he didn't, not a standout student, but not a bad student. What subject? And not a bad kid. What subject? A geography. Geography? And history. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Well, that's good because it's helped him in his later life <laughs> because he now drives a school bus up out of uh, Mildura. Oh, does he? And if he's good at geography, he won't get lost. Well, Ray Wilson says hi, Ronnie, if you end up listening to this. And I often think, you know... I was on a school bus when I was a kid in the country, and I feel sorry for that old driver, Bluey, his name was, Bluey Stevens. Sometimes he'd have to stop the bus and go crooked kids down the back, and so on and so forth. Well, well, I don't think Ronnie has that trouble. No. I think if he, if he looks at them and says, don't play up kids, they'd all go, no worries, Ronnie. And, and Bernie Quinlan sometimes drives the airport bus. Does he? From the Mornington Peninsula. Super boot. Yep. Is he one of the finest kicks that anybody ever Just saw? Just if you do, some people haven't seen his highlights for a while. Look it up on YouTube. Oh, Ten great goals. Wonderful from, from Bernie Quinlan. Unbelievable. And while we're on the subject of rogues and buses, there's, we've got, let's uh, remember the one outside the tunnel. What happened there? Well, Darren Mullane, he was a, a regular at the tunnel, and Dennis Banks, and those two were definitely involved. Mm-hmm. And maybe a third person or fourth maybe. person? Maybe. <laughs> maybe. Yeah. Someone who's footballish, maybe, but yeah. not a footballer. God, possibly. They, what, they got, the bus was left idling with the keys in, and well, they, they thought, here's a chance to drive a bus. Yeah, that's right. I think they were. Where did they take it? Not far. <laughs> I don't know. I, can't, I never got the next sentence, other than the fact that the bus was hijacked. Do you know the rest of the story? Only that they got... They got a few blocks, I think, or got, and then abandoned, I think. And uh, it was, were they ever really pinned for it? It was more sort of rumoured about. Everyone knew who did it, but I don't know that they were ever actually punished for it. It's amazing, isn't it, when you think what, what, what would happen now with that? Oh, it wouldn't be good now. There'd be no <laughs> sense of humour. See, it's a different world, Tony. You realise that back in those old days, you know, you had a situation where football coach who was a policeman could organise a licence for an unlicensed driver who's driving around in... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, you know, it was a different world. And in those days, if you could play well, I'm not sure that there was anything you couldn't get away with. That yeah. if you played well, there is talk that people were released from Pentridge early to play games. Things like that. That have they you- could get out and have a play a game. Have you heard that this was a, a rumour that I dealt with in the 1989 book a bit, but there was a rumour, and in fact, Caroline Wilson asked the question to this player yeah. after the 1989 grand final, why were you in Myrtleford? Is there anything to that? Why did you spend a year in Myrtleford? There are rumours, oh, Gary. By Gary, you of course mean the legendary Gary Ablett Senior. Yeah. I and see. Gary yes. said, they're all untrue. There's nothing true to no, that rumour. No, no truth to the rumour that I was uh, in Beechworth. <laughs> yes, that's the rumour. <laughs> and, and being released on Saturdays to play footy. Yeah. Well, 
he might be right. But he's, he had a brother that was um, fairly prominent in one of the motorcycle gangs. And um, they were pretty pretty tough lot at Truen. Yeah. I think the Ablets were the one family that um, had it over the Roses, Lionel Roses crew. Have you ever seen the magnificent footage on YouTube of Gary and Lester Ellis? No. So this was just a shopping centre and it was a boxer, you know, all preened and, hey, everyone, we've got the yeah. big fight coming up next yeah. week and look who's coming in, Gary Ablett's here, we're going to have a little yeah. spa. And it was no little spa. No. Gary, let one go. Gary Ablett has, comes in and is about as coordinated as Gary Ablett is yeah. and and Lester Ellis is sweating and dealing with an on, onslaught. It's really funny. And in, in a shopping centre. Oh, yes. <laughs> one's 15 stone and one's down to his fighting weight of, yeah. of nine and a half or something. Oh, yeah. He was just a gifted um, brute animal, really. You'd think perhaps, you know, that thing about Neanderthal genes, that we've all got 3%, but some have got more. Maybe, yeah. maybe he has. He's just... Very strong, very fast person. In my book, I write about 89 Grand Final. Yeah. There was a great story. I think it was from Yates. Mark Yates told me that they went out to a, a – uh, it was a Wombat. It was a kangaroo reserve or something. Or And they, it was – they went out and, yeah. and the activity that uh, Blighty set for them was to chase – Wild animals. Wild animals. Uh, and – it was rabbits. They would chase rabbits, and um, Gary. <laughs> and you had to see whether you could tag how long you could tag race. Uh, but they just said how happy he was to be given a different activity to footy, or you know something that he was entertained by. And to see Gary chase rabbits was actually one of the most spectacular things he ever saw. Just the the, the change of the direction, the acceleration. He looked like he would catch a rabbit. <laughs> He's very close to nature. Yeah, a man who could survive with a spear. I, su- I suggest. I once visited his house in Geelong uh, in later years when things weren't going so well, and um, he was late. You know, we were there at four o'clock, and at five o'clock, he climbed over his own back fence, and he said, oh, "I'm I was a bit worried because they drive past." And I said, "Who?" He said, "Them, they, you know, the the people that are watching me." I said, "Is that right?" And he said, "Yeah, but I've got them fooled." This is this is true, and he. He took his mobile phone out of his pocket and it was all wrapped in foil. He said, I've got the foil around it so they can't track me. So I went around the back and over the back fence. And then we went inside to his house. And um, I'm from a timber townish sort of area in Gippsland, East Gippsland. So I'm, you know, I've seen uh, simpler places, simpler than, than suburban Melbourne, where people lead more rugged lives where I come from. But it was pretty rugged at Gary's house because I think he was living there alone. No, no softening influence of, you know. And um, the thing that struck me was that in the living room where you might have a television or something of that nature, he had a complete wild pig <laughs> <laughs> stuffed. I was just standing on the coffee table. So this wild pig was big enough to, you know, it was as, it was as big as the average uh, centre half back. And... <laughs> A lot hairier. And um, a stuffed pig, a very ugly, horrible smelling thing. You know, not a nice thing. <laughs> and it'd give you nightmares. And there it was, pride of place in the living room. And the other room off to the side was devoted to the laundry. And I knew that because all the washing was piled up to about the height of the average 12-year-old. It was magnificent, really. 
But um, he was quite eccentric, Gary. So he was. Gary Senior. Yep. Quite eccentric, but uh, astonishingly gifted. He was. Now, Tony, this is not about a scallywag so much as just one of football's enduring characters or uh, his name, Billy Duckworth. Now, I didn't know Billy Duckworth, but I did know Tim Watson, or I have known Tim Watson over the journey. And I was talking, and he's, you know, Tim, talented, but also an, an intelligent and dry observer of his fellow players. And he said to me once, oh, Billy Duckworth was quite a different cat. And I said, how's that? He said, well, you know, he came from out there in Western Australia. He actually came from a little tiny place out on the on the um, rabbit-proof fence there somewhere, right out where they've got 10,000-acre paddocks, you know, this really big, wide country, flat, and just wheat country and there's no fences apart from the rabbit-proof fence. And Billy and his mates, when they were teenagers, talented young footballers, their idea of a Saturday night out, they'd get a ute and they'd allegedly... This might not be true. They'd allegedly tie the wheel down, lash it down so it was sort of tilting one way so that the ute would go in a big circle, like a big circle of 500 metres wide, very slowly in first gear. And then they'd jump on the back, sit on the back with an esky full of beer and perhaps some toasted sandwiches or, you know, packets of chips or whatever. And they would just let the ute go around a big circle (laughs) with the wheel tied for hours while they drank the beer. And that was Saturday night in the rabbit-proof fence country. So is that just because it's more fun drinking moving and well, you, didn't, and you, you look, want your hands free? Or? There's not, that's right. It's just not a lot of – well, that's it, was a some, it was something to do. And Tim said he was a very uncomplicated bloke, Billy. I, I loved that about him. He, was, he wasn't complex. And I said, what do you mean, Tim? And he said, well, one day we're just shooting the breeze, a few of us, about, you know, our parents and families and – Somebody said their mother's name was something, you know, Helen or something, and da 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 da. And what's your mum's name, Bill? I said to, and he looked a bit puzzled. He went quiet, and he said, "I said, what's her name?" He said, "Oh, I don't know. I just call her mum." <laughs> and we'll be back after this to finish our story. A troubled young woman, her evil parents. We never had any issues between us. Has justice been done? I'm in a prison. Join journalist Richard Gilliatt as he delves into one of Australia's most gripping cases. Shadow of Doubt, a new podcast investigation from The Australian. I cannot find one of these allegations that's possible. Listen now, wherever you get your podcasts. Tony, thanks for coming back. And just remind us how people can get in touch with you. Well, I'm on Twitter, by Tony Wilson. Uh, and also, I've got a newsletter. I'd love people to join up. It's called Good One Wilson. And also, a podcast, Speak Ola. You're on it. I'm having you on to talk about what's about great speeches, and you're going to talk about eulogies for me. I'm looking forward to it. Thanks for listening. Life and Crimes is a Sunday Herald Sun production for True Crime Australia. Our producer is Jonty Burton. For my columns, features and more, go to heraldsun.com.au forward slash Andrew Rule, one word. For advertising inquiries, go to newspodcasts sold at news.com.au. That is all one word, newspodcasts sold. 
And if you want further information about this episode, links are in the description.